Buckle up, Blockheads, as promised, part one of the Writer's Block, The Simpsons mini-marathon, featuring our very special guest, Mike Reese, writer, producer, and former showrunner of the longest-running primetime show in television history. That's a fact, Jack. And Mike was there from the beginning, day one, all the way back in 1988. You heard me right. Don't adjust your dials. And he definitely has the stories to show for it. We talk about the extremely meager beginnings of the show, Their first offices were in a trailer parked on the Fox Studios lot where he and an amazingly talented group of people started what would become a cultural icon. We talk about Mike's pre-Simpsons life, lots of different gigs, including writing for ALF. Don't tell me you saw that one coming. But my favorite part of this episode is Mike's insight into the creation and development of a seemingly endless list of supporting characters that we've all come to know and love. Mr. Burns wasn't always a meanie. You'll get that reference later. Ralph Wiggum wasn't even a Wiggum for the first few years. I did not remember that. Marge didn't have a name. Groundskeeper Willie was almost a Mexican. And Apu was definitely not supposed to be an Indian. But hey, funny is funny. This episode, can I look, can I be honest with you here? Can I open up to you? Can I can I rip open my chest and show you my heart? Because this episode is literally the one that makes me happy that I was silly enough to start doing this in the first place. And I'm just thrilled to present it. I'm telling you, if you thought you knew The Simpsons, think again. You're about to hear nothing but the truth from a guy who was there. The enormously talented and wonderfully hilarious Mike Reese. We're all part of the writer's block now. Let's do this. I'm going to say it was like April. Um, but it was 89, right? It was, I would say it was 88. Oh, yeah? I don't even have that. It's, uh, I just remember, I mean, and I can tell you the story on tape or not, which was uh, we were on hiatus from It's Gary Shandling Show. That was our day job. Right. And we had three months off, and they couldn't get anyone to work on The Simpsons. So we went in and uh, took the meeting and sort of got the job. They didn't have... They couldn't get anybody, you're saying? Yeah, we are we recording? It was uh, <laughs> that's the kind of thing you don't want on your show, right? So, no, 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 no. It's oh. fascinating. I mean, you know, you think back to something like that, you think like you would have a hard time, and then it becomes like this iconic, crazy show. Oh, it's crazy. No, yeah. I mean, I can tell you all about that. It was uh, we were on hiatus from It's Gary Shandling Show, which is a very well-regarded <laughs> show, and it was also. <coughs> It was a great show. What? Great show. Yeah, people love it. People, everybody says they love it, and yet it was literally the lowest rated show on television. It was number (laughs) 99 out of 99 shows. (laughs) But uh, so we had a three month hiatus, and uh, they were starting up The Simpsons, and Sam Simon wanted these guys, Max Prost and Tom Gamble, to work on the show, but they had a better offer. They had an offer to uh, work on a show called The Boys. It was a Showtime show set in the Friars Club. So they turned down The Simpsons to do The Boys, and they recommended Al and I for the job. And again... Were they working at Channeling as well? They were yeah. working at Channeling right. as well. And uh, and we were resentful. We wanted to work on The Boys too. We <laughs> Who were didn't, really right? Mid- Everybody... It was the hot thing. Everybody wanted to be on The Boys. The boys. And uh, <laughs> it was not a bad show. It was an Alan's White Bell show. And, okay. Uh, it was super Jewy. It was a very Jewish show. Uh, but so we got the runner off here, here in New York, that's just Jewy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, just, that's all you need to say. So we, we go in to meet with uh, Sam Simon and Matt Groening. And, and I was a fan of Matt's. I used to I read Life in Hell. And he was a, and I was a fan of Sam Simon. Had, you seen, had, had, had they already been on Tracy Ullman? Oh, I guess they yeah, had. They yeah, I'd seen those two. I liked, I liked the shorts okay. I liked right, the right, shorts right. fine. But, you know, I loved Those were more definitely strips. more just life and hell, just the family. There wasn't a lot of outside stuff. Which the... In uh, the shorts on Tracy Ullman. The shorts on Tracy Ullman. The one thing that bothered me is I remember them early on being really, really crude. And not just crude right, animation. Right, sure, yeah, super crude. Not right. crude animation and crude... But, I mean, just sort of... Real stupid Joe, just Homer throwing a football and it keeps hitting Bart in the head or it goes in Bart's mouth. I mean, it was pretty primitive stuff. Yeah. 
And Sam Simon was sort of legendary because I'd spent for years seeing his credits on Taxi and Cheers. And then I go meet him, and he's a guy like five years older than me. And right, sure right. enough, this is a man who was running Taxi when he was 24 years old. That's insane. He's, he's What a great show, and he's running it at 24. 24. Yeah, I mean, the guy, he's, he's still the most able practitioner of TV I really? ever saw. How and, about that? And, you know, Matt Groening certainly created... He created The Simpsons. He created the world and those characters and those shorts. People don't realize it wasn't just the family. They had Itchy and Scratchy in there and Krusty the Clown. But Sam was the guy, I think, who pretty well came up with all the kind of crazy ideas that stamped The Simpsons. The idea that, like, the first act has nothing to do with anything else or having celebrity guest stars in the show and laboring over sign jokes. So much of what was unique at the time on the show. These were Sam's ideas. In other words, taking every possible opportunity to get a joke in. Yes. Yeah. It was certainly that. It was just yeah. sort of keep it dense. And the show was even... It wasn't denser. I mean, you mean signs like out in front of the church and like that, you know, all that. Yeah, yeah just to be sweating a sign joke. It was somebody called it once too. Sweating, right? Yeah, yeah. The yeah, first yeah. VCR show. VCR. I mean, that's how old we are. It's VCR. Oh, you mean to pause it and read the yeah. sign? Yeah. We're going to put a joke on for a second and it's like, oh, well, VCR who's going to see joke. that? Well, that we still do that on our show all the time, but we call them DVR jokes now. Mm. But it's funny that it's a VCR joke. But it would have been it's pointless, hilarious. you know, five years before to do a, a joke like that on Newhart. Here's going to be something you can't even see when you're watching the show. It's like, well, why do it? <laughs> why do it? Uh, listen, uh, you're on the writer's block. I'm talking to Mike Reese. Welcome, Mike. Hey, it's great to be here. Yeah, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Mike is a uh, writer for the uh, and producer for the... The Simpsons? Is that how you pronounce it? That's it, The yeah, Simpsons. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to start you right off with something. That yeah, please. Because I, I brought this up at work the other day and no one noticed, which is when The Simpsons comes on, when they see the title, it goes, The Simpsons, and the, they sting it, The Simpsons. That's supposed to be a joke, that they're simps, that the people simpletons? are simps. Like, simps, simpletons. Yeah, yeah, that's a term. And it was like, Here's our first joke of the show. People have seen it, you know, 10,000 times. Not only does, has no one in the world <laughs> caught that, but all the writers at work. I said, nobody noticed that. Nobody notices. So oh, you mean it. nobody that writes there currently writers, even knew that was intended to be a joke the from the beginning? None of have noticed this or knew this is a joke. That's not, that's not particularly surprising to me, but it's a funny story. It's, uh, that's great. That's it. It's there. So the first joke of every episode... Tanks. Nobody gets not it. anymore. Not, oh. not not thanks to the power of the writer's block. Yeah, I mean, not. It's not a hilarious joke, but right. it's, it's a, not one person has ever. But it's, a, but it's a good example of what we're talking about. Like just like you know, let's let's look for every top opportunity. Maybe that is you know, <clears throat> it's a lot of Sam Simon. Let's look for every opportunity to, to get a joke in there. It's funny. I should have brought it with me. Uh, maybe someday we can get together again, and I'll show you the first um, spec script that I ever wrote. Was The Simpsons. Really? Yeah. You know, we've never hired a writer off a spec Simpsons. Sure, no, it wasn't for that. It would have been, yeah. I, you know, I knew back then the same that you know now that you never submit to a show with one of their scripts. Right. Because they know it too well and it's, you know, they, they, they can't, they, you know, you'd be screwing things up left and right with them. Right. So the purpose of that would have been to do something else. But the fact of the matter was, there was not a show on television that I knew better than The Simpsons. So to be able to write for it was a little easier mm -hmm. for me. Having watched every episode and then watching it in syndication constantly and stuff like that, it's you've 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 taken a lot of years away from my life. That's <laughs> what I. It's what I'm here to tell you. Is all like, <laughs> you owe me. You owe me five years of my life. It's pretty funny. You know, I've worked on the show for all but two years. There are two years. But I, you were there from day one. I wanted. To I was there that from the day, day one, one, and I'm there back today. in 1988. Potentially, we're not even sure. It's yeah, only. sort of pre-show before mm -hmm. there was a show, and. Uh, so there's 50 episodes out of 550 episodes that I had nothing to do with. And I'll catch them at home every once in a while. And I go, wow, this is a good show. Oh, I'm yeah. Really that's, impressed. Yeah. When and, you can separate yourself from it. Yeah. yeah. But I'm not involved. Had no, you know, just watching it fresh. I go, hey, that's really good. And sometimes I think, wow, the show's much better without me. It's like I'm, <laughs> I'm the guy dragging it down a little. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah, that's a, that's that's our position as writers to think that everything <laughs> is better when we're not around, you know. 
Oh, so where were I? I think I was talking about meeting Sam Simon and yeah, well, yeah, we were, so yeah, we were stuck yeah. there. Yeah, we took this job, and I got to oh, right, say, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you just a couple things, which is, I took this job. I didn't tell anyone what I was doing because I thought this was just the end. That just uh... now you had already worked. You you uh, just a quick recap of your yeah. journey out there. Uh, Harvard went to Harvard. Yeah. Worked on the Harvard. What did you Club. study there? I studied English. It studied was English, okay. English, great training for a career as a dandy. What and, did you... <laughs> It was really, I, I hated Harvard. I thought the education was terrible. I really went there. I read that you said that. Yeah, I, I have nothing good to say about that place. <laughs> uh, but they had the Harvard Lampoon, which just ate up all my time. And this is where I met, you know, half the writers on The Simpsons right. always come out of the Harvard Lampoon. You and met Al Jean there at I school. met Al Jean. He was my roommate for three years. Wow. And, um, and you moved to New York. You said you told me you had moved to New York. You were... I was at National Lampoon. National Lampoon. With Al still? Uh, yes. Al and I right. were writing team. We're writing partners there. And, and you were there for a year. We were there, yeah. even Not even that. Ten months. We were there for ten months. And okay. we had a side job. We were trying to get out. And... I have to say, I loved that National Lampoon job. And oh, yeah? It was a dream job for right. a writer. You sure. would just write whatever you felt like, and they'd put it in the magazine. And there were many writers there. You know, it was a monthly magazine who didn't do anything for 27 days, and then the last three days of the month just bang out Crank something. something and out, yeah. there it would be in print, and hey, you got paid, and you lived in New York, and it was pretty great. Right. But so we were taking... We were taking any little side job we could have. So in New York, why in New York? It. So we were writing a parody of the Preppy Handbook, and we had a job. We wrote a movie for Meatloaf, the rock star Meatloaf. We wrote for Meatloaf, and we were paid in Meatloaf, and we 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 wrote <laughs> Meatloaf the, money. We wrote, and his name is Mr. Loaf. As some people always ask. And in, in the office, they said, Mr. Loaf is not in today and that kind of thing. That's what, like, his assistants actually call him? They called him Mr. Loaf. They call me Mr. Loaf. So, Mr. Loaf. So we turned in our script for Meat Loaf, and they never paid, they never paid, and we go back to pick up our check, and the office had vanished. It was literally boarded up, which you don't see in the New York office, but they had skipped town and boarded up. And so we were doing all these jobs, and the job that got us out of National Lampoon was uh, writing jokes for the movie Airplane. Oh two. my God! Oh, well. <laughs> Airplane two. you suckered me! In. I got you. you. You got me. I thought you did your homework. <laughs> Airplane two. It was, oh man, did I bite right there? It was a hilarious comedy about the space shuttle blowing up. Yep, I know. And. I know. Uh, that was it, but it was sort of a, certainly it was a great job. I mean, it was a, Well, was that Zucker Brothers? Was it? It was not. I mean, okay. the Zucker Brothers actually went on a PR campaign to say they had nothing <laughs> to do with Airplane 2. <laughs> you have to go on a PR campaign to distance yourself from a project. They did. And then it was so funny because we're making Airplane 2 and the Zucker Brothers come up with their next movie, Top Secret, which was a real bomb. And so we wanted to take out ads saying we had nothing to do with Top Secret. Right. Oh, uh -huh. but, oh uh, my God. There's a competition to distance yourself. Yeah. That's really funny. But so that was it. That was our job. And then uh, we rode a lot of Airplane 2. And then we were sort of high and dry in LA and we bounced around. We wrote a spec script. And uh, what spec script do you remember? Uh, we wrote a Cheers oh, nice that our that. agent refused to show to anybody. He thought it wasn't good or something? Yeah, he just refused. And it, it, maybe he was right. It was I think it was a very <laughs> funny script in fact, but it was it was a really hokey idea just about okay. them getting snowed into the bar, which is a plot I feel you like that's see. happened. I mean Oh, you know, it has to have done, happened over you know, the years. This wasn't the best agent. So Yeah, right, okay. But uh it was kind of a funny story. We were unemployed and uh and miserable and i hated la and i mean i really i hated it every day there i just moved there and you know i wound up where did you grow up i grew up outside of hartford connecticut oh right okay in sure, bristol yeah. connecticut okay. which is now home to espn uh -huh. but it used to be home to nothing right it used to be home to, to my me. Greece, yeah. yeah and uh but so the one thing that would get me through the week because i was so miserable and unemployed is i used to watch this show nine to five Mm -hmm. This sitcom based on the TV show yeah, that yeah. movie. Was, I can't remember who was in it. Uh, what's her name? Rita Moreno was the star. Okay. Yeah. 
It was the worst show I ever saw in my life. So I just couldn't get over it. It was unfathomably bad. And then one day I get the call. Uh, Nine to five wants to meet with you. And I said, hey, all I'll right. take it. And that was it. And I go in for the meeting and they said, well, our show is about this and this. And I go, yeah, Mr. Hard is funny and he doesn't like Dora Lee. And, t-. and they said to me, we've never met anyone who's actually watched our show before. <laughs> And we, good. we got hired off of that. Oh, and, wow. And that was it. That was my first sitcom job. We got hired. On a show you, that you were watching kind of ironically. I was watching completely ironically. <laughs> I, 100% was, ironically. Was, that was it. I mean, this was the, the Ed Wood of TV show. <laughs> but we got hired. And it was the other interesting thing. This is a good thing for, for writers. I mean, the show was so awful that I, I presumed, you know, the staff was a bunch of, of circus pinheads and idiots. And in fact, they were great. They were wonderful writers, most of them. It sort of stunk from the head. But the writers <laughs> on the show were very talented, uh-huh. including one guy who was the funniest man I've ever met in my life. This older guy named George Bloom, just who spoke in jokes. I've never met anyone like that. Huh. He never what an interesting way to describe somebody who's just constantly funny like that. Just he was just spoken jokes. Yes, wow. It was, it was just sort of beautiful and yeah. uncanny. And but that was it. But the show was so awful. And then we got fired. Al Jean and I were not good enough to write for the worst sitcom in TV <laughs> wow. history. And uh, and then we bounced around. And again, as I said, we finally wind up at The Simpsons. Well, by Bonserran, I, I I did not read about nine to five, but I read about. Did you work with on the Tonight Show? Yes, we worked at the Tonight Show for two years. And, okay, uh, so so that's a different thing. You're just writing jokes. You're writing sketches. I mean, it was just you know we were right. It was a very strange place. It was he had one building where the monologue writers worked, and the other building where we worked. We were the sketch writers, and they weren't really sketches. Almost every night it was. It was the thing Johnny would do at his desk. It's like, here's 10 tips to beat the heat. And, right, you know, right, right. here's eight ways to save water. And it was Any Karnak stuff? Do you and Karnak and Aunt Blabby and the Edge of Wetness. And in all that You time, didn't do monologue? No, okay. I never even met the monologue writers. Oh, wow. That's how compartmentalized right. the place was. Right. When we got the job, they told us, you're going to... The, uh, not the head writer, the second in command guy said, well, you'll be here for 13 weeks and then goodbye. Nobody's lasted more than 13 weeks in your position. And we hung in there for a year and a half. So that was like a record. And then we got fired for no real good reason. And then two weeks later, they came back to us. They said, Johnny wants to rehire you. And it's like, what did we learn in two weeks? Wow, that's How did we become such great writers? Uh, but by then, I think we already had another job. And so At uh, ALF? ALF. I wrote for ALF. Within two weeks, you got that job. Uh, was it ALF or Sledgehammer? Now I can't remember. ALF um, was a good show. I, I liked ALF. ALF is a, is a little underrated. Yeah, it was, it was uh, you know, yeah. It was, just, was, it, was, it was a little hard to fathom back then. I think, I think it was kind of a new, it seemed like maybe it's newish concept of... It was, it was, it was just a hot. hit. Yeah. I mean, that's one yeah, thing. Right. It was a top 10 show. It was a real hit, and it did what high-concept shows did in those days, which was it, it was it made a little bit of a buzz, then it was a huge hit, and then it was gone two years later. Right. And all the shows, like Kids Love, that's what they used to do. I mean, this is why it's so amazing that Simpsons has gone this long, is kids get tired of something really fast. But that it was very much the Simpsons playbook, which is at Alf, we wrote the show for adults. We never cared at all the kids were watching. We said kids will watch the puppet regardless. And right. so we wrote an adult show. Yeah. Well, I can't imagine that the Simpsons was ever geared towards too young of an audience. I mean, no, it, it, no. It, again, we never cared. Well, other, or that not not only that you guys wouldn't, but that 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 was ever even remotely in the plan or that anybody pitched like, hey, here's the group we're going for. I mean, did you get that from executives? No. I mean, to jump ahead, the, the key to the success of The Simpsons is James L. Brooks, when we got the show, he just said, no network or studio executive is allowed anywhere near the show. And, and he had this, the power to do that off of like... Off of, yeah. yeah <laughs> off of 
the hit Tracy Ullman show. Yeah. Other, than, other than being the, you know, Mr. Taxi, Mary right, Tyler yeah. Moore, Oscars for Terms of sure, Endearment. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. That was it. People had to defer to the guy, and yeah. especially on the Fox network, which is still brand new, and nobody knew if it would be there from year to year. And to this day, the uh, any jerk off the street can come in and watch us do The Simpsons, but the president of Fox is not allowed in. Huh, how about that? Yeah. Well, speaking of the, the, the first days, yeah. um, the, the people who were running it had to come in with certain things. You know, how, how much was developed when you guys come in that first day, and, and, and where did you start? They had written a pilot. Uh, Sam Simon and Matt Groening had written a pilot, and I think it was even in storyboards. And what I remember, it's just, just such miserable little beginnings. It was in a trailer, mm-hmm. in a crappy-looking, depressing trailer was the whole operation. Really? Like on the on 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 the Fox lot or something. It was on the Fox lot, okay. and it baked in the summer. It was a can. It was we were working out of a tin can. <laughs> when they didn't have an office inside a building. No, there, no they? walls. Wow, that would have been great. No, we did not have that. Wow. And uh, the other strange thing, I mean, you know, as I say, we were we were hired just sort of secondhand. We were hired because you couldn't get the other guys, but. Uh, the rest of the writing staff, the other four people, were hired off of uh, this thing called Army Man, which I think comedy yeah, nerds will know about. Yeah. It was a zine. Right, it was, yeah. It was just an eight-page yeah, guys at work love that. magazine yeah. Yeah, of jokes. And Sam Simon just said, oh, I like Army Man, and he hired four Army Man writers. And so of the seven or eight uh, original writers on The Simpsons, only Al and I had ever written a sitcom script before. Okay. Jay and Wally had written sketches. A couple of guys had written sketches. And but then, Sam is kind of running it, and he has all that experience. He had all that experience. But, I mean, it was it was a genius staff. It was the most amazing staff I had ever worked on. And yet, it was really a fluke. I mean, he, nobody had ever done this work before. This is the... Well, now, you've moved, now you're moving into right, and you're, and you're moving into animation, and we're which, working in animation, which none of us had any experience in. Well, that's the, yeah, and and uh, um, I mean, what other show? I mean, aside from like the Flintstones and stuff like that, I mean, there was nothing. What, what was animated on television at the time? Just Saturday morning stuff. Right, right. So no, no, like primetime animation no, was like there unheard had, of. Had been nothing since the Flintstones. Right. So. Um, then you go into animation where you can kind of create any character you want and have them do whatever you want them to do and have whatever you want them to happen to them happen to them. And so was that was that daunting or was that exciting? It was exciting. It was, I think it's what every writer wants to do. I mean, he wants to say, gee, let's do a one-page scene here in a baseball park and, you know, let's, uh, you know... Let's not make any scene longer than it's got to be just because we have to build a set. Right, because you can do... Yeah, right, 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 yeah. And then it turns out, you know, once we got into it, well, you can't really do that. I mean, as crowd scenes were the hardest thing in the world. We always wanted to write people at a movie theater or in a a crowd in a baseball park, and that's the hardest thing in the world. You got to design every person there, and then you got to animate them. Right. It's really fun to watch first season Simpsons where... They're at the ball game, and everyone's frozen behind them. It yeah, looks yeah, like they're, yeah. They're standing in front of a Monet or something. Right, right. Well, it was it was definitely crude, but you changed animation companies fairly early on, right? Was we that... didn't. We didn't really. We sort of just expropriated the staff and moved them to another building. We took. What can I say? We we they they kind of stole our whole working staff that had been doing the show and put them at another company. It was okay. some sort of. It was above my head, but it was okay. sort of. Just internal politics. Still, the, you can watch those early episodes, and as crude as they might be, they're still hilarious. Yeah, and I, I, I will, I have to give credit. It shows you what talent we had in the animation department. We're, again, just inventing the technologies as they went along. It was last night, I don't know when you're hearing this, folks, but last night was the Oscars, and two of those original directors on The Simpsons were up for Oscars last night. Really? Who's yeah. that? It's uh, David Silverman who did the Simpsons short. It was up for oh, Best right. yeah, sure, yeah, short. Yeah. 
and Rich Moore, who directed Wreck-It Ralph. Okay. And yeah. also on that original team, we had Brad Bird, who's won two Oscars, and yeah, wow. Jim Reardon, who did Wally e and was up for two Oscars. So wow. it was an astounding group of guys who were just, again, you know, it was everybody's first or second job. Right, right, right. And then they go on to do all these things. Yeah. Um, what, uh, uh, you know, I mean, one of the great things about the uh, about the about the show is just uh, um, how amazing the characters are how developed they are how well you know them and then how how many of them there are at this point when you came in what was that world like how many how many characters <laughs> were already there um when you got started did they did they kind of have sort of a core to keep it under control they well it was mostly they had the family sure yeah yeah they but had I mean, the they, family okay. and they had a boss and what was funny when the show started marge didn't even have a name she was just mom and uh, because several scripts were being written simultaneously, scripts would come in where characters had different names. So like Jay Kogan, Wally Wallodarski turned in a script featuring that couple, Homer and Juliet. And they go, ha ha, Juliet, like they're Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> and Al and I wrote uh, the first appearance of Mr. Burns, and we called him Mr. Meanie, <laughs> which is so stupid in hindsight. I mean, Mr. Meanie, it's so on the head, but... I think a lot of the ideas were handed to us. We met with Sam Simon, and he said, here's the story. Here's sort of what we want. Homer's embarrassed by his family at a, at a company picnic. And uh, and what I remember is he sent us off to write a, a detailed outline. I mean, these were massive documents. It's something most TV shows don't do. You, you have to write an outline, but these were really uh, like 20-page, single-spaced single uh, documents and they're they're a bear with to the read descriptions and the, and descriptions, the and the dialogue and a lot of all your best jokes were uh -huh. in there but they were they were really I would say they were even more than a first draft because they were so over explained and that kind of thing but that was directive I mean that was that was just how we did it for years and years and we just now I, I heard stopped we don't do any outlines at all I guess you know we have such a professional staff and the average person has been writing the simpsons who's on staff now like eight or ten years so they just know what they're doing yeah we can skip the outlines which nobody wants to read anyhow but um, we do very detailed outlines and <clears throat> and then we get elaborate notes and do a first draft and then the rewriting which is now the major part of the work we do with the simpsons was very light we would really do a quick pass through the script this is back in the first few years back in the first year or so yeah it was it was very little rewriting done on the show. Right. Now, when you write a Simpsons, the script will be written from top to bottom eight full times, eight page one rewrites. Is that and that's that's just a given? That's just how it goes. Yeah, that is our step by step process. Wow. So if you turn in the greatest script in Simpsons sure. history, doesn't matter. By the time it hits the air, thirty percent of it is going to be your stuff. Right. And very often, even if you did a great script, nothing's left. Other shows, I guess, probably might go through not eight on a regular basis, but if that's the process, that's the process. That's, that's it. really the interesting. That's a set number. It's it just happens to be the way. I mean, we do two or three before we read the script out loud with the cast, then we rewrite it again. Then it goes to rough black and white animation. That's called an animatic, and we we watch that with a room full of people and see how it plays and we rewrite it again and then two months later room we get full it. of random people or no no it's us yeah and sure. i mean it's a terrible crushing burden to put on any poor joke these are people you wrote the joke then you've heard the joke perform then you're watching the joke two months later and then two months after that you see the same joke in color it's hard for a joke to last that of long. course Jeez, yes and i mean nice. and if it doesn't get a laugh at any of those points if a joke doesn't get a laugh out of you four times in a row it's cut oh my and God. stupid but i mean this is how we do it let's get back really quick to the um uh, to the characters when yeah. you, when you were talking about you had the family you know you had a boss mr meanie mr meanie <laughs> Mr. Meany. There's another joke people can see in those early episodes, which was, it's, uh, you know, we think of, we work really hard coming up with funny store names, but the first year of the show, the, the candy store was called Candy Miss Dan Most Dandy, and the flower store was called Howard's Flowers, and that was going to be our thing. Every store's name rhymed, and boy, that's not funny, but... <laughs> But, you know, again, who knew? Who knew what The Simpsons would be? And uh, 
that was our idea at the time. I remember... You stuck with that for Another thing, I think Matt Groening said it. Uh, I don't want to put this in his mouth. It wasn't him. Somebody in great power at The Simpsons said, we will never have a celebrity on the show. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was but, somebody's dictate, which I mean... is. is oh, okay. So yeah. I don't know who the first one was, but then it became... Then it got... Like, I know you wrote an episode, the Michael Jackson one. I wrote the Michael Leon, Jackson one with Al Jean. Leon Komposky from, yeah. from, from Patterson, New Jersey. All right. <laughs> so funny. Oh, good. You like that. So, oh, God, it was great. Yeah. Did you guys find yourself, was it was Sam or whoever was saying like, uh, uh, like we want to add a character or was it like we're going to go into this situation so we need a guy who does like runs a... a, a a comic book store, and then all of a sudden, comic book guy becomes a character. Was that's it exactly game? how it works? And I, I can give you five stories. I'll give you a couple. Though. Please. But one is uh, Al and I and Sam Simon Matt Groening wrote the episode where Bart saws the head off the Jebediah Springfield statue. Yeah, the Telltale Head, uh, and I believe that was first season, one of the very first episodes. And in that episode, we wrote it in three days, no outline, just sort of making it up as we go along and not working too hard. We wrote that. <laughs> that's nice to know. Wrote it in three days. And that's the episode that introduced uh, Chief Wiggum, Eddie, Lou, Mayor Quimby, Jimbo, Dolph, Kearney, Nelson. Wow. And and Apu. They all came in in that, that episode. And... Mostly because we needed a lot of characters. I mean, the show ends with an angry mob, and we had to fill the mob out. And it was all, they were all just invented on the fly. We didn't really care. We just need a few, we just need these people in. Yeah, and it's, it is funny that I remember just these crazy stories, how we come up with the names. A lot of people know that half the characters on The Simpsons are named after streets in Portland, Oregon. Really? Oh, you didn't know that? No, I, I did not know that. Matt Groening is from there, and if... You go to Portland, Oregon, and you're driving down Wiggum and Quimby and Flanders. They're all like oh, okay. three blocks in a row there. Oh, nice. And it looks like, oh, boy, uh, Portland really honored their native son, Matt Groening. <laughs> How'd they Com- named him afterwards? Comic Book Guy Avenue. Yeah, now you're not. Now I'm like. <laughs> I'm not going to bite again. But so we, we invented all those characters very quickly. But the great story is they're, uh, that's the first time they go into the Quickie Mart. And the quick, the, we just had a character clerk, and he had one line, which was 35 cents, please. And at the time, every crap movie and comedy had an Indian clerk in the 7 Eleven. Right. And so I insisted, we wrote in the script the, uh, the clerk says 35 cents, please. He is not an Indian. And then we get to the reading, and Hank Azaria gets to that line and goes, 35 cents, please. And it got a huge laugh, and it just showed us Hank is a genius, and Hank doesn't read stage directions. No, see, he did, it was in the script, and he said it anyway. It was in the script, anyway. and yeah. he said it anyway. got a giant laugh. And I got to say, I should have just that's, backed away. i got to tell you something. That's what? so... Well, oh, I'm sorry. Go you finish up. You just, well, it was just... I didn't give up. And oh, so you, we, <laughs> we're doing the second draft be, before we record it, and... This time I put it in boldface capital letters. He is not an Indian. And we get to the second reading before we record. He goes, 35 cents, please. And that's it. And Apu is an Indian now. And that's so, so I told you before we started that I saw an interview with Hank Azaria. Yeah. And in that interview, the guy asked him about Apu. Uh, how did that come about? And Hank Azaria says... They just told me they wanted an Indian guy. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I love it. I don't know if it's just people remembering remember, it differently. Well, you know. Or somebody might have like, told him that despite your direction or something. Nobody Who knows? remembers these things. But you guys have no intention have, for Apu to become such a regular character on the show. No intention at right. all. Another one is Ralph. Uh, one of the great characters. One ever. of the great characters. Although I will say, we, for about season five or six, the staff just started to hate Ralph. We got sick mm. of him. I mean, it was just sort of, he spoke in non sequiturs. And there followed at least two years where there's no Ralph on the show. Oh, right? wow. I didn't. I didn't we imagine. hated him so much. And then I start, I went on a lecture tour. I started lecturing at college campuses, just telling all these stories about the Simpsons. And at the end, I go, all right, who's your favorite Simpsons character? Ralph, Ralph, Ralph. And it was like, and we, he had been off for a couple of years. He'd been off. And I go, we hate Ralph. But I mean, People love Ralph so much, and I would go. I had to go back to the Simpsons and say, "People want Ralph. They love Ralph. 
and they love Duff Man, who's another one who's a one-shot character, yeah. and they love Disco Stew. And I go, Disco Stew wasn't oh, even a character. Yeah, yeah. He was just a name on a jacket. He didn't even have a name. So, so that was so that's how Ralph got in the show. And well, so I, I said to Al Jean, I go, Where did Ralph come from? Everybody loves Ralph so much. And he said, We invented him. I said, What? And he's and it's in the second episode we wrote. We wrote Ralph appears in the show, but we intended him to be like a little Homer. We intended him to be a gruff bully. But he was he was Ralph Wiggum. Was he, he, well, he was no, Wiggum? no, that's even more. But it was, we called him. His name is Ralph because we named him Alf after Ralph Cramden. We wanted him to be a little Ralph Cramden, and somehow, uh, I think when they drew him with sort of this dented head and. Nancy Cartwright gave him that idiot voice. He became the this kind of retarded Buddha character that people love so much. Right. So he was Ralph. You know, that's how Ralph came to be. And this is one of my rare contra- lasting contributions to the show was season four. Uh, we were working out this episode where Ralph gets a crush on Lisa. And sure, said, yeah, the Valentine's thing. Right. And I said, hey, why don't we make Ralph Chief Wiggum's son? I mean, they they had both been in the show, but they were they were, already those kind of characters? I mean, because yeah, it's a perfect son for him. They're the same same character, kind of. They're I mean, the not, same not, kind yeah, of character, yeah, but right. I just I just said, hey, you know, this would work out pretty good if he was his son. And so, Chief Wiggum starts hassling Homer because uh, Lisa has spurned Ralph. Right. So that was it. I mean, it was it was four years in before we made them related. But Ralph had been on plenty of episodes before that, right? Wow, see, I didn't know that. That was it. We just we just make up stuff. But yeah, the the good thing is we sort of remember what we thought of. I remember there's a joke. I think I'm gonna say George Meyer wrote it. It's Bart has vandalized the puma mascot, and Principal Skinner says, "You know, I saw some terrible things in Vietnam, but this is a thousand times worse." And then. It stuck with us. Okay. Oh, I guess Skinner went to Nam. Yeah, so that we came wrote back one joke and suddenly we've given him a whole background and PTSD. So and there you so you know, let's let's talk about that a little bit because I wanted to talk about the development of these characters. And a lot of the way they are now was probably already that way in season ten or something, if not before that. Mm-hmm. But um but how much of it would you say is stuff that you like deliberately planned out in advance and and how much of it it seems like the answer is going to be that a lot of it was just organic. Uh, I, I would say, in terms of planning, I would say at most zero percent. <laughs> I mean, it really <laughs> didn't, didn't think it out. We didn't. I mean, we really didn't. We just made up this stuff as we went along, and and that's it. And things. But the would family already had a bit of a core. I the mean, family had a core. Although there's a great thing, which is I've been talking about this first episode Al and I wrote with Mister Meanie in it. And Mr. And by the way, Mr. Burns, as we wrote him, we we had him as this very benign older older man, but gentle man. We based we wrote him, and you can see him in that episode as uh as we wrote him as Ronald Reagan. He was doddering and gentle, and he's he's greeting the family by reading off of index cards. Which oh is yeah, what, yeah, I remember which that. Which is what right, Ronald yeah, Reagan yeah. used to do. And, was uh, Smithers already in there? Was he handing Smithers him the index in cards there. and helping him? Right? I, I have to tell you something great about Smith. I'll tell you right now about Smithers, which right. was, I would say at the end of the first season, again, Sam Simon just walks in. He goes, Smithers is gay. He said, we're not going to write to it. We're not going to do anything. Uh, not right away, but we'll get to that. Well, that's it. We're not going to make a big deal out of it. But just remember in your head, Smithers is gay. And we go, oh, wow, pretty good. And there are no, there are no gay people on TV back then. And Smithers, the first gay character He's on the television. first one. He's the first one. <laughs> I love it. So he says, Smithers is gay. And so we just had it in the back of our hand. And I mean, in, in no way was it up front. And then midway through the second season... A reporter from the BBC flew in to interview us, this is, and he's, and we said, "What brings you here all the way from London?" He says, "I'm here to talk about Smithers," and that was it. He this was a very gay man who just knew he picked up on Smithers' gay vibe, and somehow it had come across to him. And of course, Smithers gets gayer and gayer all yeah, the time, but man. we still, you know, we never go all the way. And and for years, we would say, "No, Smithers is not gay. He just." Has a crush on Mr. Burns. But, yeah, yeah. But now he's just gay. Anyway, so... Uh, but so that first episode, the plot of it is... Well, first, they get to Mr. Meany's estate, and the first line out of Lisa is, 
let's go throw rocks at the swan. So that's not Lisa's character no, at all. No, not at all. Right. Then the whole family embarrasses Homer. At the Marge gets drunk at the at the party. Homer is embarrassed. Is this by the his very sh- first episode of the whole thing? Or? It is not. I think it wound up being episode two. Okay, I mean so the right, the, right the up Christmas there, show. It might have been episode two or three, right. something like that. And Homer is so embarrassed by his vulgar family that he decides the family needs therapy. And he pawns the family TV set to to pay for psychiatry for the family. And that's Dr. Marvin Monroe. Dr. Marvin Monroe. Yeah. So, I mean, none of that. And certainly that is not Homer's character at all, to be sort of the model of no, decency. No, to pawn the TV on top of and that. And to pawn the TV. No, 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 But sir. that was it. I mean, everybody bought into it. And that, that was so that, how the but, show grew. But, well, that's interesting, though, because um, as you have that many more episodes, as your episodes keep building then it just becomes a matter of like the consistency just becomes natural. Right. It's like, okay, well, okay, then Lisa throws a rock at a swan and everybody would be like, what are you talking about? Right. Well, we did it. What? No, that's not her. That's anyway. just, that. just Yeah. So we have to keep that natural. And then, the, um, and then these other, all these other characters come in. Like, tell me about a, a character. I mean, it seems like you were involved in creating a lot of characters, obviously. Right. Is there one in particular that, that, that is uh, particularly endearing to you that that you that you glom onto that you think is like I'm so glad that I came up with this and was it no it's always kind of a team effort or everything's a team effort yeah everything's a team effort and I'll tell you it's another one of my canned anecdotes but it's a good one which is it's groundskeeper Willie that's a character I was there I watched the whole process because groundskeeper Willie he appeared in this episode I think in second season. He had two lines. He had the line, he's, in act one, he goes, you'll be back. And in act three, at the last line of the show is, I told you you'd be back. So we're sitting down to record Dan Castellaneta doing Groundskeeper Willie. And he goes, Dan goes, well, who is this guy? And Sam Simon says, I don't know, give him an accent. So he did, he did <laughs> ground. totally random. It didn't that was it. He said, and so Dan did him Spanish. You'll be back. And Sam goes, nah, that's racist. So uh, Dan Castellaneta did him Scottish. And we go, yeah, okay, that's fine. So that's how Groundskeeper Willie became Scottish. A second and a half thought went into that. And then our animators heard that voice, and they drew a character that looked like that voice. You know, we gave him a big red beard and a barrel chest. So they, they had, you, you wouldn't go to animators and say, make him look like this. You'd just say, no. they, they'd listen to the voice and then create they the character. they listen to the voice. Wow. And then, and then of course... You guys would be involved, or you? Or yeah, Sam we would sign would. off on the right, designs right. and that kind of thing. So that was it. So groundskeeper Willie suddenly became a Scotsman and became this flame-bearded, barrel-chested Scotsman. I like that. He's also just completely ripped. Is really right. funny. That he's just, the, he's you know, six-pack abs, like completely lean, ripped guy. Yeah, and so, uh, so we didn't care that he's Scottish, but the people in Scotland do, and he is now he's a national hero in Scotland. Yeah. And off of again, sure. one I mean, really, and a half seconds thought. I th- I thought for a second you were going to say that they were offended by it. No, no, they love him. They love, and here's the great story. In one episode, we said groundskeeper Willie's from Aberdeen, and a couple of years later, we said he's from Glasgow. Ah, oh, the nerve! That's it. And why? Because we don't give a crap. <laughs> we don't give a crap, and who cares? But the people in Scotland yeah. care. They care deeply. Sure, yeah. Just... And so to this day, Aberdeen will play Glasgow in, in soccer, and a riot will break out over where this cartoon janitor is from. Oh, is it for the rights to for the rights, for the to, rights to groundskeeper? <laughs> like they need something else to riot over. That's when it. it. You know, hey, you know that cartoon janitor who lives in a shack full of kitty porn? He's from my town. <laughs> And then, oh, so great. after 25 years of that, last year we said, all right, he's not from either place. And we picked a town on the map. We just said, what is the most remote town in Scotland? And we found this little town. And, and uh, we said, all right, that's where Groundskeeper Willie is from. We just changed it. We just changed it. And in fact, you said, I'm not from Aberdeen or Glasgow. I'm from oh, this that's his other line town. in the show? He says oh. it. I mean, and you know, who's going to get that? But yeah, we right. threw it in there. Right. And we looked this place up on the net and on YouTube, we saw this tiny town has a giant contest every year to push a ball 
from the north side of town to the south side of town. This giant ball. And then the Doonies fight the Loonies or something like that. The people from downtown fight the people from uptown to move this giant ball. So we go, all right, that seems like a great place for Willie to be from. And we called this town. Hey, when we said, hey, groundskeeper Willie's from your town now. And they freaked. And of course... This is going out. This is international now. That right. This this town of two thousand people in Scotland is the home of groundskeeper Willie. Oh my God, that's so funny. Isn't that something though? When you fascinating to have a job for this long. First of all, yeah. To have it, we talked about this at the awards. The that it's the longest running show ever on television. Right, longest. So they always. What did you say? Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke lasted twenty years. That was the one we we. You know, we have a chart at work, and we would watch us knock oh, off the, one Oh, after how about another. that? Oh, yeah, and nice. that was it. It was Ozzy and Harriet fell. Oh, take that! Most, <laughs> most boring <laughs> show ever. And then it was F Lassie. you, Ozzy and Harriet. Screw you, Lassie. And finally, <laughs> and finally, it was Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke lasted twenty years, wow. and we're now writing our twenty-fifth year. It's insane to even think it possible. And and. To be in prime time and have that many shows, it's just it, it's it's really amazing, and to have it be so good for so long. I mean, oh, it's this, nice. it's uh, the one thing I did want to talk to you about is uh, um, about that longevity. And the Simpsons feeds off of what is stupid in the world. What stupid things are people doing? I think this is the longevity of the show. Is sort of you know we're not exactly topical, but we get a, a lot. We you know we'll get eight ten episodes out of something. Just terrible going on in the news. And for a while, like under Bill Clinton, things were pretty good. And I think the show was sort of meandering. Everybody was pretty happy. And then, you know, you hit George W. Bush and 9-11 and the economy collapsed. And that was great for the show. The worse worse humanity is, the better The Simpsons is going to be. It's one of those things I could at least make a bogus graph of, you know, quality of The Simpsons. Lack of quality of in, mankind. in America and yeah. mankind. Uh, it's interesting. You you say you came in almost. You know they they didn't even they wanted other guys, but then they got you. Right. <laughs> <It's true. laughs> and yet, two years later, you're running the place. Oh yeah, it was uh, it was horrifying. Um, how did uh, uh, how were you chosen to do that? I mean, among all the people that uh, um, that that you know what I mean? It was yeah. I, I don't exactly even remember. Did they approach that, you with it? Was it like we wanted Yeah, you to... it was sort of, I think it was in our contracts. You know, we signed contracts when we joined the show. Uh, and there was a lot of great stuff in those contracts. But one of them was, oh, in season three and four, you'll be running the show. Wow. Jeez. Yeah, it was crazy. But, but I may, mean, maybe not even thinking you'd get to season three. We didn't four. think we'd get that yeah, far. Right. We certainly didn't know it would be a hit. Yeah, everybody, the, the people that gave you that contract were like, yeah, sure, <laughs> I'll sign it. What the hell? But also, you know, of course, Al and I had had, I think by that point, five or six years of sitcom experience. We were... Yeah, right, right, right. And nobody else you said did, right. We may have asked even. We may have demanded it be in our contract. Yeah, laying down the law. But I mean, that was it. No matter what show we were on, I think we would have been running it by that year. Right. Because that is just the point we had worked ourselves up to in our career. So now this is a high-pressure situation for you. Well, yes, that was it. I mean, here we are about to run the show, and... Who knew? It came on the air and was this instant phenomenon. And it was right. huge and so beloved by by the public. And did you see that deadline coming? Oh, my God, we're going to be running it next year. Oh, my year. God. Oh, we were sending Al and I, Al, Gene, and I, who had, you know, couldn't run. We couldn't run a lawnmower, and we're about to run this this entertainment. I, it got know. big fast. What? It got big fast. It got big instantly. This is a great thing is there there are college courses and and books written oh, about the Simpsons. Yeah, it must and, be weird for you to read that stuff. And it's all wrong. I mean, that was the thing. I mean, that's what kills me is nobody gets it right. Definitely wrong. And you think if colleges are getting Simpsons wrong, what are the odds they're getting physics right, you know? And so... But the, the Big the, fan of higher education. The thing I read in every book about the Simpsons is the show was a slow book build. It, took, it was a, had a cult following for a while. And it's like the Simpsons premiered with a hollow, with a Christmas episode, a Christmas special was our premiere. That was the highest rated show in the history of Fox, which was about four years old. That was it. We came on, we set a record with our first half hour, and I think our third. And those ep- numbers stayed relatively. 
Yes, uh, for the first season, I mean, we were number three in the ratings our, our first year. You know, six weeks into the run of the show, we were the cover of Newsweek. And then, you know... And yet I, people write that it kind of crawled up. Yeah, I mean, I don't even... You know, that requires no... No research at all yeah. to find that out. Uh, maybe they're being clever and going back to like life and hell or something. I just don't the know entire what process, but it it's just, just silly. It shows. Well, I've got to tell you this one quick story, which is Please. I have too many stories, but no, you, there's a, there's we have a, too little time. As well, there yeah. is a, this book, this unauthorized oral history of The Simpsons. Unauthorized. It's a pretty pretty. You know, it's the book you would go to. It's the okay. most sure. comprehensive book about The Simpsons you'll find. But I mean, I read it, I go, well, there's a mistake, mistake, mistake. And one of my favorite mistakes in the book <laughs> is like on page three. They said, Matt Groening came to prominence with Life in Hell, uh, a cartoon about Binky, a one-eared rabbit. And I go, Binky has two ears. <laughs> and it's like, and that sounds like a petty thing, but you go, what if it's good? you're reading a book about Walt Disney? Walt Disney came to fame with Mickey Mouse, a one-eared mouse. Yeah, it's I mean, like, why even throw that detail in? Right. I mean, what was he counting the ears and the doorbell rang and he lost count? I mean, <laughs> that is so he bad. He just lost count between one and two yeah. and figured, I, I, what did I get up to, one? I want to write that down. <laughs> That's an interesting thing. Yeah. Um, Mike, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, gosh, it was so much fun. Yeah, I, uh, um, I really appreciate your time. I feel comfortable that I did not come across as uh, uh, too much of a, an adoring geek for the yeah, show. No. I mean, I know what I know about it. I know my lines, but I'm glad I didn't uh, didn't assume too much because uh, um, because you can easily be very wrong about what you assume about these things. It's fascinating to hear all of this stuff. Oh, great! Yeah, I mean, the, the takeaway I guess is there's no there there. There's just we wing it as we go along. We tr- we try to be consistent now, but we really there was never a grand scheme. There's never an arc. So, that's it. Just don't read too much into it. It's a funny show. It is a very funny show. It's, uh, and I'm glad to have lived uh, uh, at a time when I could appreciate it from the <laughs> beginning until now. And it's, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to believe that it would end, but I guess one day it will. But Maybe someday. You know, going to have to come up with another gun smoke to surpass this. <laughs> um, Mike Reese, writer for The Simpsons, thank you for being on uh, Writer's Block. A pleasure to have you. Say goodnight, Mike. Goodnight, everybody. And we're out. Okay. Gosh, that was fun.